0: You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon.
1: Well,
2: hey there, all you triathlon studs and studettes. This is Coach Brett with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. I'm getting in the Zen mobile Studios here. And leaving the pool where I'm really excited, I uh, got my swim down to an Ironman distance in one hour flat. So 2.4 miles in 60 minutes. Doing high turnover and um, kind of high turnover, but maintaining nice grip for the water. Once you start slipping all over the place, it's not that good anymore. Hey, that's enough of that we're going to talk about what's on this episode this is really cool we have the head coach of qt2 systems jesse kroppelnicki and he is really interesting in his uh, approach to fueling let's see i got an overhead light on somewhere in here for racing and then for training and racing actually the training is a big part of it and then the um The training log for this episode is Emily and I headed off to Spain for Strong Like Bull Triathlon Training Camp. Southern Spain in the mountains. Just crazy. (laughs) And that'll be Strong Like Bull Part 1. And next episode, we'll cover the uh, second half of Strong Like Bull. Uh, Strong Like Bull Part 1, the winds were so intense on the first day of my first big bike ride that I actually nearly got blown off the bike, and in the middle of a mountain pass, really started getting kind of freaky out there, uh, really intense, and uh, just lots of of uh, what it's like traveling to Spain and Europe. I've never been to Europe before, and uh, it's uh, just a really, really good good training log. Lots of tips and, and training, and fun and adventure and uh, high volume. I hit. I ended up hitting 23 and a half hours of training that week. And that included uh, travel time. Well, it doesn't include travel time. Well, the week included travel time to Europe and back to, from Texas. And so fit in that kind of volume, 23 and a half hours of training time. It just shows you what kind of camp this was. It was intense. Okay. So before we get started with Jesse's interview, uh, we're going to do just the tiniest bit of triathlon news. Go, Go, Sonia. Sonia Wick is traveling to Melbourne to be with pro triathlete Angela Nath. So we're not going to have her on this episode, but we are going to definitely have her on lots more episodes because the reaction was, hell yeah, she's awesome. And she is awesome. So we'll, have, uh, we'll do a Skype call with her coming up maybe next episode and um, cover the news and then what it's like being down under for Ironman Melbourne with Angela so that'll be super cool. Okay, so in the news, the biggest thing is uh, lots of research is coming out that we have turned the corner in uh, kids not being so obese. Obesity is going down and the, um, the culprit, the main culprit that, they've, that they're picking on saying that has solved most of the problem is uh, sugary drinks like Coke's. And uh, by the way, as a parent, you know of a of a kid. My mom taught me um, when she passed it on, passed on her knowledge to me, is don't give your kids straight juice. Cut it in half with water, because straight juice is the same as a coke. Really, it's just sugar, 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 with not much fiber in it. And then, um, let's see what else is in the news. Oh, I was reading an article on Wired magazine online uh an interview with alan Lim, or more about just about alan Lim, who is the sports nutritionist behind armstrong and a bunch of other guys with a lot of success and uh, the quote that i saw that was really cool was uh, they're trying to make a better gatorade it's not quite as sugary and have so much crap in it uh, because it, When it has as much additives as Gatorade has in it, then your body has to pump extra water to digest it to your stomach, and then that makes you sick. Um, So the, uh, the, uh, the saying though that Alan Lim said for sugary fuels, if you're not sweating, don't eat it or don't drink it, right? If it's sugary. And I thought that was really good advice. Um, A lot of us just need a simple rule to uh, work with, to stick with most of the time. So if you're not sweating, the thing I used to say, I think I'm going to switch to the not sweating, is if you're not running a marathon, then don't eat that. Um, But actually, a really good one is if you're not sweating, then you don't need to eat that. So there's that. And then I was listening to a nice Zen talk uh, that I downloaded, and I was on the plane, and the commentary was... When things get tough in life, or you're talking with somebody that's having a really tough time, and it could be anything—it could be just trying to work through your homework, trying to pay your taxes, trying to get through a layoff, and you're searching for jobs, and it's and uh, it's getting tough. Um, you're trying to get through a race, you know, or a training session—anything where you're having to dig deep. The phrase is, "I believe in you. Keep going." And actually, the guy was saying, I love you, keep going, but that can sound kind of fruity. So, I like, I believe in you, keep going. But you can do I love you, too. So, I went, uh, when we got back from Spain, I went uh, trail running with Kai, and he was on his uh, mountain bike. It's <laughs> a little kid's bike, a little Huffy, and, um, or a Tony Hawk bike nowadays. And he was uh, sort of struggling, you know, it's muddy and going uphill, and it's tough, you know. And I'm behind him. I'm, a, I'm 20 yards behind him running. And I tried it. I said, I believe in you. Keep going. Like that. And wow, it worked, man. He's nine years old. And boy, he'd bear down and he'd be like, yeah, you know, because you're giving him authorization. You're his dad. And you're telling him that what he's doing is right. To keep trying, you know. And um, whenever there's any self-doubt, Sometimes you check around you to see if other people and other people you look up to or you want to be like are saying, yeah, you're doing the right thing. Just keep going. I believe in you. Don't worry about what you think. You just keep going. And it's a nice little mantra. I believe in you. Keep going. And uh, it really, really worked. So that's it in the news for triathlon. There's uh, there's a whole lot of other stuff, I'm sure. Races and, and good stuff. But you can catch all that on the interwebs. So... Let's get to uh, Jesse's interview, and Jesse Kropelnicki again, QT Two Systems, and he's a uh, really great triathlon coach, and I I find his his uh, his lessons in fueling uh, to be really interesting. So when you're not training, you eat really healthy, and uh, they call what they call the core diet, and when you are training, you actually pile on the fuel because uh, it makes your workouts better, and then you get uh, metabolic metabolic uh, efficiency and all that from just being stronger and, and and faster in general. And off off the bike, off the run, off the swim, you're uh, you're working on eating right. And that helps your metabolic efficiency as well. And then you've also trained your gut that during training to take on fuel instead of, of, uh, kind of like starving yourself and, and, uh, being kind of weak in the ability to uh, absorb nutrition when you need it on a long course race. It's really, really interesting stuff. It's kind of a hybrid approach to, Um, all this, uh, super high carb for high performance versus, um, no carb ketogenic, you know, which I think gets so out of control that you, um, it's bordering or is a total eating disorder to deprive yourself completely of carbs and try to go ketogenic for, for training and racing. And, um, that reminds me the uh the other the other phrase is oh what was it optimized optimized fat metabolism OFM yeah that was it that's the other thing in the triathlon news is OFM optimized fat metabolism and that means it's that hybrid approach you you want to be able to metabolize body fat uh and um and use it for fuel. Um, you just don't necessarily want to go completely overboard with it and make that your entire focus and get so zeroed in, target fixation on that that you you're you're depriving yourself of of good fuel and good good nutrition to um, to have a nice life and be healthy. You know. So anyway, that's it. Without that. Let's get on with Jesse and we'll explain it some more and I'll catch you on the other side with a little bit more news and uh, some sponsors and also then the training bar. Here we go. Alright, we are really lucky here today to have us With us, Jesse Kropelnicki from QT2 Coaching Systems. How's it going, man? Good. How you doing? I'm doing good, and uh, we're talking via Skype. And I asked Jesse to be on the show because I came across this article that you'd written, and then after that, in a link in that, found another article that you'd written that is so opposite from a lot of what people are talking about lately. But mm-hmm. at, at the same time, I think it's, uh, very true and I'm, I'm looking, I, I think there's a lot of truth in it. And so I'm looking for, uh, you to, to help the rest of us kind of clarify what, what's going on here. And, um, the article I'm talking about is the triathlon fueling window mm-hmm. and it's where you wrote, and, and you can better explain this in a moment, but it's where That's you right. wrote, um, you know really if you're if if you're training to run lean on calories to burn body fat you're if you're going long course you're really limiting your potential towards the end because it is a calorie dependent sport and when you need calories you're not going to be able to take them in because it'll upset your stomach and um i mean that's you know my one sentence description and then um And then that linked to another article called, uh, I think you called it like Starvation Workouts. Right, right. And boy, I love that one because, and it's just a personal thing with me. Like I like, I I used to be a little bit overweight. I'm fine now. And I I grew up skinny and like uh, just got, you know, the extra 30, 40, 50 pounds like in college, after college, and then burned it off. But like I love to eat. (laughs) So when people talk about doing long workouts without eating or they like I'm at work and it's like lunch middle middle of the morning or getting towards lunch and somebody tells me that they haven't had breakfast. I yeah. like I can't even comprehend that. Like right, right. yeah, I mean that's so bizarre to me. So when people talk about going on long bike rides with no fuel or long runs with no fuel, it just blows my mind that you would even right. want to do that it, it, because it, that's just different than me like personality wise. I just like to eat and right. then um but and I've tried it and I've done it, you know. Um, I've done a three-hour bike ride on on next to nothing, and yeah, you can start tapping into your body fat stores and using them. But it's just a, I don't know. We can curse on this because it's a, a podcast, but it's like a yeah. shitty w- workout in the end. But yeah. in my opinion, but agreed. Um, anyway, so that's where I'm starting from. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a good and, starting
2: point, point. and I think. The other thing is is the last podcast that I just put out was an interview with Phil Maffetone, right? Okay. Yep. And yep. I think you can interpret what he's saying as burn completely off body fat, but now I'm I'm thinking that's not necessarily what he's saying. Oh, you know, because you mention that there is metabolic efficiency, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily running on zero. That that's right. it's right. different. Okay. So okay. that's that's why I said I gotta call Jesse and yep, see yep. what's going on.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think I could help clarify a lot of that. Um, I think there's two reasons why people may want to or think they wanna reduce caloric intake during the training sessions. Um, many times, it's simply because they want to lose body fat to get to so-called race weight um, at some point in training six to 15 weeks out, let's call it.
0: Okay.
1: Um, that's one reason. Number two, I think the second most common and probably the, the more recent development in the last maybe three to five years is to try to promote this um, metabolic efficiency type atmosphere where… Um, um We're ideally just burning fat and not using any glycogen at all, and that's obviously an extreme point of view at it, but that's the whole concept and right. Let me just start with number one I mean you know number one, if you're trying to lose body fat to uh, be prepared for race day, there's many opportunities throughout the day where you can cut caloric intake to reach the same objective without actually having limited training sessions. So if you had a choice on where you'd like to reduce calories, during the training session itself is probably the worst time because you're the most likely to have a nutritionally limited effort. Everything you do in this sport is focused around having solid sessions. Why would you ever do something that could undermine that uh, objective, especially with other areas during the day when you can do that? So that's one one of the most common, I think, intuitive areas where people make the mistake. Um is that okay with number one? you have any questions on that no i'm I'm with you okay. okay well
2: well yeah, so let's kind of repeat it let me repeat it back to you in a different sure. way sure and then yep <laughs> that that's how you prove that you understand something yep so um you're training for a race, your workouts make you faster so that you have a better race. it's counterproductive to to wreck your workouts with by not being fueled properly for your workouts um, I don't know if you call it wrecking but suboptimally performing in your workouts by not mm-hmm. fueling yourself because the whole point of a workout is to is to um, make yourself faster and then um, and there is plenty of times if you're trying to to just drop weight period o- other times besides that workout that you could be um, cutting calories for example or or um, cutting back on the on food to uh or glycogen or sugar i guess carbs to um, to be
1: uh, trying to lean out correct correct okay. yeah i mean you know during any any training session, the objective is to apply some quantity of training load the person who can apply an aggregate training load over the course of their career that's higher than their friend and do it in a way that is absorbed through via, you know, solid restorative techniques is the athlete that's going to make the most progress. Right. Um, So, you know, fueling is a big piece of that supportive atmosphere that allows you to apply more training load, which at the end of the day is the stimulus that all athletes are looking for to progress forward. Um, you know, as soon as we start applying training load that's not commensurate with restorative techniques, um, we start to go backwards and undermine the supercompensation cycle. Okay, gotcha. Um, okay, so that that's number one. Then number two is the most recent fad, which is, you know, trying to do these starvation-type workouts. I understand that they're not total starvation sessions, but all of it's in an effort to strike this place called metabolic efficiency. Mm-hmm. And when you really look at the research that's has been done in this area. I don't think there's been any studies, at least that I'm aware of, um, that that very cleanly show that we can elicit adaptations that are meaningful on race day in the order of you know let's say a half percent plus. Okay, which is which is a small percentage, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to, many of these studies that looked at metabolic efficiency may show this very fractional improvement in overall performance over a long term period. They were very, very tainted with many other variables, including the training stimulus itself. So I'm not even 100% convinced. That you can actually manipulate dietary intake to elicit physiological change in terms of energy system usage. Um, a lot of that is really having to do with the training itself. So, you know, many of these studies have looked at an athlete who's totally untrained, uh, maybe a very carbohydrate rich diet, carbohydrate rich fueling, then put them on a, let's say, low carbohydrate approach during training and then re looked at them eight weeks later. Sure, we showed an improvement in so called metabolic. Metabolic efficiency, but many of those adaptations probably came from the training load itself, yeah. um, and not necessarily the dietary manipulation. That could um,
2: be true. And then yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, even the studies yeah. that show a difference in metabolic efficiency that may isolate the training out of it, um, the, the improvement that we actually see on performance on, on a long course event like seventy point three or Ironman um, ha- hasn't been shown at all. Okay. Um. So, so that that's sort of number two. Now, the big issue that applies to both number one and number two are just the tremendous risks. So we're, we're looking at number one and number two and saying, okay, there's potential improvements with number one that relate to body composition that can be dealt with outside of training sessions. So why even mess with it? Um, and in number two, there's potential metabolic efficiency improvements that we're not even sure if they exist, and even if they do exist, they're extremely small in 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 quantity. Um, so as I look at that and say, okay, well, what about all, all the risks that I introduce for very very small benefits? I have two primary risks. Okay, mm-hmm. one is stress to the system, and you know we're really trying to promote systematic health to support the training load, which is what I was talking about a little bit earlier. Right. Um, you know, an, an act where an, an athlete, particularly an age group athlete, who's already very overstressed in their overall stress budget, um, overworked to some degree, struggling with good nutrition techniques, now we, we send them out there in an already um, systematically stressed, catabolic type state and say, okay, now you can't eat for three hours. Mm-hmm. This has hormonal impacts, um, you know, tremendous adrenal impacts. It's a very, very risky thing to do. And I'm, and I'm doing that. In the hope that I get a a, some very very small percentage improvement that may not even exist. Right. So for ninety nine point nine percent of the age groupers, it's not a practice that you you would ever want to try. You know, there's there's plenty of other dials that are tried and true, proven techniques that are you know very reasonable ways to promote health that will give them very very good bang for their effort. You know. Yeah, it's like um, there was. uh, It's it's like.
2: Monks that, that uh, punish themselves, uh, what is it called? The um, oh, I forgot the style of what it was, but um, punish themselves and abuse their bodies like to the point, and it's like I can reach nirvana if I just punish yeah. myself enough.
1: No, exactly. <laughs> you know, a-
2: and then yeah, and then I'll, I'll reach the state of nirvana. Then I can do then I can do anything. I'll remember the word when it's when it's uh.
1: No, it it, it it kills me because you know as a coach I, I care about my athletes I care about all the athletes that I work with and I care about you know all athletes that train for triathlon and I just it kills me to see people attempting that stuff because I know at the end of the day it ends up hurting them and it's more systematically and what we're trying to do is a is a healthy sport we're trying to be healthy about the way we do things and um, it's just not a healthy thing to do at the end of the day. Yeah, so, and so and especially when you weight against the potential uh, performance enhancements. So.
2: Right. Okay. So there was when, when I was, uh, I tried being raw vegan for almost a year and then I had to quit because I just felt like everything was going wrong with my body. And I think I wasn't getting in enough calories. Um, right. And I was doing this, you know, to run leaner and all this other stuff. Sure. And sure. then, um, Okay, so I've been, over the past few months, doing this, you know, uh, less and less fuel running. I, I wouldn't call it, I, I was calling it learning to run on less, right? To metabolize body fat for, for fueling. Yeah. And, you know, I was doing it in training and stuff, but training's like two, two hours, three hours. And then I go and do this Rocky Raccoon 100, you know, ultra marathon. And I've done, the, I've done it before and finished. And I've done the, a few years ago, the whole 100. And I've done the 50 a bunch of times and finished um, just fine. And this time around, I get halfway through the 100, so I'm at 50 miles, and I have to stop because I'm getting rhabdomyolysis. Oh, jeez.
1: Yeah. You know?
2: And, and so I started thinking about it, and, I, and then I came across your article where it said um, the starvation workouts, right, and the starvation rides or something. And then, it, then you mentioned in there catabolic state, and nucleo—I forgot what it's called—but basically, where your body starts synthesizing protein and the and carbohydrate. Yep, ne- neoglucogenesis.
1: Gluco- what is it called? Neoglucogenesis.
2: Neoglucogenesis. And I'm, I'm like, wow! I think that that might have been what was happening to me because I—you train some more about what you were talking about in these articles—is you train. Yeah, you run. You you can you can go longer on less. But the the major one of the major downsides is you're training the stomach to not be able to tolerate fuel when you need it, and so I'm out there running and running and running and running, and then uh, you know eight, nine, ten hours in, I need to eat, but I don't feel hungry, and if I try to eat, I just throw up. Right, right. And so then, what does my body do? It goes, well, I guess we're going to start eating your legs, <laughs> or right. w- whatever's available. Right. You know, and then I got really sick.
1: For yeah, days. yeah, and I mean you're getting into risk number two that I was going to discuss, which is really yeah. this ability to handle the race day fuels and the whole triathlon or fueling window concept. Okay, um, just just finishing up on number one in terms of the the catabolic health or the, the, the catabolic atmosphere that can be created by doing this practice of starvation during sessions in an effort to promote metabolic efficiency. Okay. Um, it's also not only is it risky for the standard age group or who's already overstressed and many of the professional athletes as well, um, but then specifically looking at many athletes who have very, very low muscle content already who may be strength limited. Let's say we call it males who have a lean BMI below 21 and females who have a lean BMI below 20. For those demographics, it's very, very likely that we're dealing with a strength limiter in triathlon that's actually slowing them down. And then we're putting them out there um, and probably putting them in a very catabolic state to continue to tear away muscle tissue. Definitely not what you want to be doing. I mean, right. you, you, the first thing you want to do is be protecting every bit of muscle tissue that you have and working on ways to help uh, improve it over the long term and sort of a long term race weight type approach. Right. Um, anyway, okay, so that, that's number one. And then, you know, number two is what you were just alluding to, which is what I, I covered in that, that particular writing, um, about the fueling window, where, you know, the other big risk is, okay, if I'm not fueling the workout sessions in a very, very regular way, in a way that I expect to require on race day, sure, I may train myself to to need less on race day, but the bigger impact is that I train myself to be able to handle less. And in my experience, the rate at which you train yourself to handle less is much Greater than the rate at which you train yourself to use less, um, meaning we actually reduce the viable uh, availability or fueling window, um, meaning the difference between what you require and what you can handle, mm-hmm. and make it very, very small, and sometimes probably negative or close that window. And in those cases, the athletes are sitting on the stand uh, on the starting line, and they don't even realize that they have no chance to actually be able to handle the race fuels that their body requires. Even though those requirements may be less. They can't even handle them because of the, way, the lack of the, the, the training or fuel training uh, in, in their actual training sessions. So, Right,
2: right. And so that's where you get several hours in and you, you can't
1: tolerate what, even what you need. To eat. Right. Even though that re- even though that need may be reduced through the practice you've done, not eating and training, mm-hmm. the rate at which you've reduced your ability to handle stuff has outweighed yeah. the slight reduction you've gotten in what you require. Yeah. Um, so, not a place you want to be for long horse race. No. It only ends one day. We we know how that ends. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so what what I try to promote is, you know, very, very regular practice of the race day fuels, exactly how you plan to do them in race day, and even sometimes overcompensating as we get closer to race day so that we wipe fueling as a limiter off the table on race day, particularly for the hot races. You know, if you require on a particular hot race two to three bottles an hour on the bike. And I may train the last two weeks at four bottles. Well, it makes race day a little bit more um, easy to handle, right? And, and kind of wipes it off the table as a limiter. So, um, you know, that's that type of that's practice.
2: because hot races, um, people get uh, it's harder
1: to eat when it's hot, right? Yeah, it it, it can generally be, it, you know, it's not necessary why don't I just say yes but I, I think that <laughs> it depends the, 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 it depends right yeah. the, the bigger impact here is that the sweat rates are a lot higher the fluid requirements are many times double and triple what they may be ah, on a yeah, I got you. very reasonable day yeah so to be able to handle those quantities of fluid and the associated amounts of sodium takes a significant amount of practice and you know I would say maybe one percent or two percent of the athletes out there actually practice at the rate they require on race day plus mm. and um you know that's one big thing that we do is we we have the athletes actually try to take in at least twenty five to fifty percent more than we think they'll require on race day during the final two weeks, just so that the gut is totally able to handle it. And then the nice side effect is that of that is it allows them in those final training sessions before the big race day two weeks out to ensure they're um, ending the sessions in a very very little, let's say, glycogen depleted state. So that the reservoir is emptied only a very small amount when they end the training session so that they go into the next training session um, in a very, very full state. You know, that's an easy way to think of it. If you don't fuel properly or overfuel those last training sessions, you could add the particular workout, let's say, with the reservoir fifty percent full. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not fill it before the next one and you may not fill it before race day. So by overfueling with we we overcompensate, train the digestive system to be able to handle the stuff, and then also get the nice insurance of making sure we're fully glycogen loaded as we come into the race. Okay, so
2: this what I don't even know where to start with this. So the <laughs> the two interviews before Mafetone was AJ Balco, mm-hmm. and um, had nothing but great things to say about your coaching, and ah, then sh- um, uh, Hillary Biscay. Mm-hmm. And Hillary had just done uh, Ultraman, right? Yep. And they were talking about, you know, just being the main focus in their in the racing, like Ultraman. And then uh, AJ was talking about training was just massive amounts of of what they would seem to people massive amounts of calories. And I, w- I remember laughing when AJ was saying, you know, like six to eight hundred calories per hour or something like that. And I was like, oh my. God, dude, how do you even do that and And Hillary was saying, you know she's smaller, so I think she is, but she was saying, you know four to six hundred, maybe I don't know eight hundred something calories as is much she was just trying to pour it on so that she wouldn't bonk during the um during ultraman right sure sure and and knowing what you know, yeah you know, you're sitting there going, yeah, yeah okay so but to to somebody um my wife is a uh, type one diabetic, so I know a lot about diabetes, right? And so, and uh, we got all this type two diabetes going on. What, what is your consoling advice <laughs> that this isn't too many carbs for people, and like isn't unhealthy? I, I, and that it isn't unhealthy. I totally get. Like, you could totally counterbalance this with the unhealthy state of the catabolic starvation rides and what that's doing to you, right? That's definitely an extreme. But to some people, this amount of calories during training would seem like an extreme. Is it? Or is it not? Or
1: or what? What do you no, have to say about you know, that? It- it really isn't. I mean, you look in any textbook and realize that the caloric expenditures during a one-hour bike session is going to be somewhere in the range of, you know, 700 to 900 calories, depending on the size of the person. So the right. expenditures are certainly commensurate with the intake. And even at these very high levels, I mean, the intake is still less than the expenditure. Okay. Um, so that that definitely balances. you know, the, the, the issue is that most people don't even take in 50% of what the expenditure is. And there's only so long that you can do that and try to fill the difference with what you have uh, on the onboard reservoir in terms of muscle glycogen. And once, right. once you reach that limit, it's lights out. So. so how do you propose people eat when they're
2: not training then?
1: I know you have like something called the core diet. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And that, you know, that's, that's much different. You know, where, where we try to promote, let's say, metabolic efficiency or the ability of your body to, to burn fat from a body composition standpoint is everything out? of training. So there we totally stay away from grains and refined sugars. We use it as an opportunity to get in the nutrient density that you miss out on by eating all these performance fuels in large quantities during the training sessions. So the biggest sin we see with endurance athletes is having something like a bagel in between training sessions because that's 80 grams of carbohydrate that you've now displaced that could have been filled with much more nutrient-dense carbohydrate sources such as blueberries or an orange or an apple, so on and so forth. Um, So You know the stuff we do during the training sessions is a necessary evil for performance. What we need to make sure we do is when we're outside of training sessions that we overly focus on the nutrient dense stuff that we miss out because of the large, you know, quantity of training sessions that most Ironman athletes may do on any particular day. Yeah, you've you've sold me on that one. I like that a lot. All right, good. (laughs) Like (laughs) that. Yeah, because
2: that's that's what. So I'm going back. I feel like I'm going back to what really used to work for me um, is is fuel my workouts really well, and then when not working out it 's something I teach people that I work with you know just at my office job they they 'll ask me you know how did you get lean you know well, how should I eat and i 'll point at what they're eating there uh, for lunch, you know a bowl of pasta with cream sauce and everything all, all over it i 'm like that is marathon food right there mhm all that white pasta that you're eating? Yeah. oh, absolutely. Are you running a marathon right now? And they're like, well, they just blink at me, you know? They're like what? No. I'm like, then you should not be eating that. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's no, that's totally.
2: rocket fuel right there. And yes. if you're not running a marathon right now or in the next five minutes, I wouldn't be eating that, you know. So, um, okay, and so that's that's what I've kind of learned on my own, or just talking to everybody. We're really lucky with all these interviews that we do. We talk to some really great people that have kind of steered all of us in the right direction so when not training eating like really really healthy and then when training fueling your workouts to have great workouts yep and exactly okay so then what i've noticed is lately i've, I've been going back to you know after, after this rocky raccoon experience of of uh, piling on the fuel whenever i do a workout and i went from hardly being able to eat anything during my workouts to actually feeling more like the um that mr nuclear mr yes. atomic whatever thing is on top of the delorean where he's just cramming yes. garbage in it and the thing'll turn it into fuel yeah and i mean as as proof that you can train the gut to take on a lot more and um and then another upside i've noticed is I can actually eat a meal like uh, after I talk to you, I'm going to have dinner and then I'm going to get on the bike and train and it doesn't bother me anywhere as much as it was um, to exercise with a full stomach. Right, And that might actually be a good idea.
1: Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's, you know, anything you could do to overcompensate and train, it's, it's exactly what we do in training. We try to overload and do things that are above and beyond what are required of race day. So it's a similar, you know, it's a very similar concept with nutrition in terms of the day-to-day, you know, the, the during uh, training session or race fueling type nutrition. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Hmm. It seems to be working. <laughs> but I'm only yeah I'm returning back to my roots and 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 uh kind of and enjoying yeah. it uh, feeling like it's a a good place to start over again yeah. um and then kind of intermingling all this other stuff that I've learned you know about efficiency and all that other stuff at the right time
1: um and healthy eating when you need it so Okay. yeah the prim- you know the, at the end of the day, in terms of the efficiency stuff the the primary driver there is how you behave in training you know if you 're going out doing anaerobic training sessions constantly you 're going to use more carbohydrate your body's going to be more um, likely to turn towards anaerobic energy systems to produce the ATP demand that 's required for a particular intensity. Um, you know if, if you if you train the aerobic system very intensely and carefully then the aerobic system is what the tendency will be to use to meet the atp demand first and it will stretch it as far as it can until it, it can't create any more through that energy system and then it switches to anaerobic energy system means and that's where we start using carbohydrates so you know the primary driver here is certainly the training techniques and not the nutrition and you know, just to summarize it, the the nutrition techniques that have been tried in this area probably present way too many risks um, than what it's worth, especially where we don't have uh, definitive proof that it actually has any enhancements.
2: Yeah, that's that's always funny whenever there's a trend going on, and then somebody starts saying, "Okay, now where's the proof again?"
1: No, exactly. <laughs> and then you can't find it. It's all exactly.
2: yeah, you know, just I- articles and stuff. And you on your article on your article, you actually. Have graphs made from real-world experience instead of just a a few athletes in a lab. Right.
1: Right. No, I thought that was really cool. And everything I just discussed is the same thing that we've been doing with zero changes for the last nine or ten years. It's exactly the same, Um, and it's been super successful. You know, so until I see a reason to change it, there's there's no reason to change it. You know.
2: So um, what's going on with some of your athletes this year? I know you, you coach AJ, and and who else are you looking for to really hit it big this year?
1: Yeah, you know, I I am coaching, and I have been coaching Kate Snow for the last six okay. or seven years. Um, I coach Pedro Gomes, who won two races last year. Um, I coach Jesse Donovan, who won two Ironmans, J- Jenny Hansen, who won an Ironman last year. Um, I just picked up Lindsey Corbin. She's actually down here at the training camp in Claremont as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got a great group. I mean, just really lucky to have such a great group of athletes to work with and, you know, just really hoping to, to move the ball forward this year and, and, and see them do well. Um, I think it's a great opportunity and I don't want to screw it up, to say it simply. <laughs> <laughs> so QT2 Systems um, coaches a lot of age groupers too, right? We do. We coach um, about 250 age groupers and we had about oh, 30 wow. athletes in uh, Kona last year out of that group. That's a good ratio right there. Yeah. So okay. So if people are interested in
2: finding out more, then go to qt2systems.com. I think.
1: Yeah, and qt2systems.com, and you know all the nutrition stuff we do through thecorediet.com. That's the other site.
2: Right, and I saw through your coaching, you actually have a lot of on-staff uh, nutrition experts, right?
1: We do. We have five registered dietitians that work with triathletes, Ironman athletes. That's what they do every single day. They're not just dietitians who you may go to and ask to do your Ironman nutrition. This is what they do every day: race fueling <laughs> plans and day-to-day nutrition plans. Yeah, I've,
2: I've, yeah, I've had experience with
1: the, with the dietitian that really doesn't know anything about. Yeah, yeah, exercise. Exactly. You, know? exactly. Yeah. you know, all the dietitians I initially trained, and most of them have been with us for. Um we have a few of our dietitians have been with us for five or six, six years. Um some of the others have been with us for a couple of years. Um but they're great they all work with, like I say, triathletes every single day. Cool. So are you working with AJ right now? Like to Yep. I am. He's here in Claremont as well. I've got um we've got twenty six pros here in Claremont that we're working with for a three week camp. Are they tough to handle? Do they get all crazy? Or- <laughs> they get a bit crazy. We have our moments for sure. <laughs> no,
2: no comment. <laughs> You ever get any of them yelling back at you? No way. I'm not going to do that.
1: Oh, for sure. For oh. sure. It's all part of the game. Yeah. It's a little back and forth. Yep.
2: Cool. Well, thanks, Jesse. And um, I really appreciate you uh, doing the call. Maybe we can talk to you on down the road as I keep working this direction and see if see if I'm doing it right.
1: Sounds great. Thanks for the opportunity. Awesome, man. Thanks. Thank you.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Jesse, for that interview oh man, since we started the interview, it's been days, man. Time warp. I'm back. (laughs) Lots of crazy crap going on. The training has, has, uh, the volume of training that I've been doing is, uh, grown so much now that Ironman, Texas, half Ironman, Galveston, Ironman, Texas is coming up that, uh, i'm having trouble fitting everything in so recording the wrap-up to this interview and on the training log has taken a few days so uh, and i've been making the mistake of training a little bit too hard listen to too much heavy metal black label society is really good with some alice and chains mixed in and then uh next thing i know there's metallica and then pantera and then i'm doing intervals too hard and then i need to sleep all day because i've worked out too hard <laughs> But anyway, that's life. That's what makes this stuff fun. So, all right. Let's see. There was a couple of really interesting things. Well, one, I just want to repeat that that one quote by Alan Lim. If you're not sweating, don't be drinking our stuff. And that's from Scratch Labs. But basically, that's the rule for easy... That's my rule now for easy-to-digest carbs, fast-acting carbs. If you're not sweating, don't be eating them. Okay. And then, while... Um, I took a break to fit in this interview for the past few days, the, um, I came across a really interesting statement and started Googling it and found out it to be pretty true. Okay. So I was listening to Endurance Planet with Tawny Prazak and she was interviewing some doctor, They're on call doctor that uh, I guess is based out of Florida or something. So he, um, he was saying that if you don't eat this was huge to me, by the way, and the way it was handled just kind of offhandedly and just passed up, um, was, (laughs) you know, it just glossed over and then moved right on. I was like, whoa, this is huge. So I want to reiterate this. Um, he said hypothyroidism, um, somebody was having a problem with hypothyroidism, I think, but anyway, um, Basically, if you don't eat enough carbs, your thyroid turns off. Your thyroid is what regulates your metabolism. And uh, that's a big concern for me because uh, all this low-carb, low high-fat dieting, uh, when, when you try to do Ironman-level training, the level of carbs that you need is way higher than what you'd think. And you can still take in a ton of carbs and be, not a ton, but you can take in plenty of carbs and still be low carb uh, with Ironman training. I remember Ben Greenfield saying he was able to take in X amount of grams of carbs and still be, you know, pee on the little the keto sticks and still come up as ketogenic uh, because he was burning primarily body fat. Well, if you don't fuel yourself with enough carbs, remember, it's just a ratio. Like, what do you need versus what are you taking in? So if you're working out 20 hours a week, and you're even though you're eating what you think is plenty of carbs, if you're not eating enough carbs, basically your body still thinks that you're low carb, right? Relative to the work that you're doing, and the um, the end result is your thyroid can turn off apparently. So don't take my word for it. Go Google this and start doing some research. Because, and then I saw a thread on slowtwitch.com in the triathlon forums where somebody said, anybody else have uh, hypothyroidism with all this training that, that we're doing? And I didn't go in detail through the thread, but it seems to me, my impression is, is there's a lot of people dealing with, in fact, I coach somebody. That's been doing triathlon for years and years and years, and then you start trying to eat super healthy and cut down on the carbs, um, you could end up jacking up your, I was about to say jacking off, turning off your thyroid and really messing up your body. And I remember when uh, one of the symptoms is um, your body basically goes into starvation mode. Um, because it's feeling off of more fat, so it's kind of like it's going into hibernation, you get cold really easily. And I remember when I was on the raw vegan diet, I started getting really, really cold. Um, and that's your metabolism, your internal furnace uh, turning down and um, and low energy and all that, all that other stuff. So I was like, wow, maybe I was in the beginning stages of hypothyroidism. So I want people that are thinking that you can do Ironman training and low-carb at the same time to pay really close attention to that. Do some research, and if you don't feel great, then something's off, you know? So there's that. Um, next podcast, we're going to do an interview with Ben Greenfield, who is the, uh, you know, low-carb king, uh, fat metabolism and such, and um, I think there is value to that, but... um more along the lines of optimized fat metabolism, maybe not so much um, completely, you know, running off of body fat. You're turning off a system that your body uses if you're not burning carbs. Your body is the human body is meant to burn carbs. I mean, that's why you can eat them and why you use them. Just like we're meant to breathe oxygen and all this other stuff. And you know, that's that's what we're here on Earth to do is to mess up nature. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> engineer things, uh, eat some carbs, eat some fat, eat some protein, you know, do all this stuff, uh, build space stations, destroy the planet, and then take off to the next planet. I mean, basically, but you know, you don't use a system. Um, your body gets all out of whack. So in your, in your efforts to go to, to get lean and do super duper army and stuff, cutting out too much carbs may be a really bad thing. So that was fun. How about that? All right, let's go. I'm just saying, you know, go do your own research and always check in with your body and see how you're feeling. Any kind of crazy diet is usually a uh, uh, short term. And um, you also shouldn't be piling on the carbs because that'll give you um, uh, metabolic syndrome and pre-diabetes and diabetes. So you got to, you know, find the middle ground for you versus how much you're doing at that moment. All right, let's move on to uh, quick donations. We have recurring donations this month. Uh, Ken Soderquist, Michael Hildick, Daniel Stark, who is the cousin of Tony Stark, he told me personally in an email, and John Taylor, David Long, Mark Brilliant, which is a great last name, and Christopher Allen. So thank you for your donations. If you want your name mentioned on the show, then you have to go to the ZenTrathlon.com website and either set up a recurring donation or do a one-time donation. And, uh, if you do a one-time, um, no, if you do recurring, send me an email and, and tell me that you set up recurring and that I, you like your name mentioned on the show and, uh, or your question actually. And, um, Yeah, anytime that you're a donor, if you ask a question, I will put it on the show and answer it on the show. Uh, No questions this week. So let's go on with a sponsor. This is really cool because we have an email. So the Mountain Madness Half in Georgia, northern Georgia, in the mountains. And boy, is it in the mountains. Sunday, May 4th, 2014. Uh, half Ironman distance, so 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike, 13.1 mile run, the only triathlon that awards a king and queen of the mountain polka dot jersey, which is rad, for the fastest ascent. Um, For those of you that don't know, the polka polka dot jersey for the Tour de France, I think was started by a bread company, and the wrapper for their bread is polka dotted, and then if you, so they sponsored a climb, you know, and, and a prize, whatever, how much money, you know, this is a hundred years ago. Um, the first one to the top won that section. And, um, so that's why the polka dot Jersey is polka dotted because of a, um, bread company and the wrapper of their bread that was a sponsor in the tour de France. I believe that's what I was told. All right. dot Jersey for the fastest ascent up the six-mile climb to the bike turnaround. Six miles. Wow. Okay, so here's the email. This is cool. From one of the uh, race directors. The course is hard. Crazy hard. The bike course has a six-mile cat one climb to the bike turnaround, which we time for the KOM and QOM competition. If that was not enough... Then there is a three-mile climb to get back to the transition area at the end of the ride. (laughs) That is where the fun really begins. The run course is where we really get to inflict some pain. If your legs are not shot from the ride, then the two-loop run course will finish them off. It is a three-mile rolling climb to the turnaround where you get to scream back down towards transition and then do it again. It is the downhills that will finish off the quads. We have had many Kona qualifiers walking on our run course. Something we love to see. Strange fact. There are no naturally occurring lakes in Georgia. They are TVA, that's Tennessee Valley Authority, projects from the Great Depression era where FDR was getting people to work on big government projects. I bring this up because our venue, Carter's Lake, is really a mountain range where the valley in the center was dammed and flooded to make a lake. Everywhere around the lake is a big climb. It's awesome. Our title is All Three Sports. They love how our event... Our title sponsor is All Three Sports. They love how our event is different from all the others. For this venue, we are looking to create one of the hardest races around. We feel as if we have accomplished this. I totally agree. Our website is zone5events.com zone5events.com and the 5 is the number 5. And... Our event page has had some great reviews from blogs and slow twitch. Check out our unbiased opinions, zone5events.com slash event slash mountain-madness. All right, so I grew up a lot in eastern Tennessee where they have um, on Watts Bar Lake, which is another TVA lake. I think it's the third tallest dam in the United States. And my great-grandfather was hired by the, or worked with the University of Tennessee as a psychologist to go into the mountains and work with people that, you know, hillbilly types (laughs) up in the mountains to analyze um, what makes them who they are so that we can uh, figure out how best to provide them with um, electricity and water and all the things that the TVA uh, projects were actually supposed to be doing, and he interviewed. There was articles where he interviewed them, and they would um, they believed in a lot of um, superstitions, and that beds beds and chairs could rattle if they laid on them, or so I don't know. It was really really weird, but anyway, my uh, great grandfather um, helped out with some of that, and then my grandparents um, built a lake house on. Watts Bar Lake. And I grew up on Watts Bar Lake swimming around there. And that terrain is freaking crazy. So if you want to, cause this is basically the same as Northern Georgia. And I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, which is basically the same too. And that is nuts. Like crazy. Emily was, I remember it took Emily through there and she's like, how do they build houses on this? It's so vertical. And so basically I'm saying, if you want to nearly kill yourself, just doing a half Ironman instead of an Ironman, and um, really enjoy it and have a beautiful day because it's so gorgeous in that part of the country, um, then you want to do the Mountain Madness half. So check them out. May 4th, zone5events.com, number five. All right. Now let's move on to the training log. This is the first week, first half of the week in Spain. So we've got traveling um, on the plane and uh, me dealing with uh, losing a bike in baggage and trying to um, work out a lot and in a different country. I've never been to Europe before, so it's a real trip. And this is the first half of two parts. Next episode, like I said, we'll have Ben Greenfield and part two So you definitely don't want to miss that. And I totally want to pause for a second and give a huge thanks to Franklin Anderson. Franklin Anderson is the guy that made this all happen, the Spain trip, a huge impact on my life to go to Spain and see what it's really like. And um, he donated to the podcast uh, airline miles for me to use. And Wherever I needed to go for whatever kind of race, he had the airline miles and uh, said, "Hey, use this." And I said, "How about we use strong like use it for strong like bull training camp?" So my ticket to Spain and back was actually pretty much paid for by Franklin. So thank you, Franklin. And then what that did was make uh, Emily had to buy a ticket, and then the camp is hosted by John and Christine who are really good friends of ours. So it was just like the best time ever in Spain. And it's all because of Franklin. We definitely wouldn't have even considered it without those airline miles. You cut the price of our flight in half by donating those miles. So major, major thanks. And I also wanted to say another sponsor, sponsor Hornet Juice. I've had a lot of orders coming in lately. Um, Hornet Juice is a protein powder Um, it's not all protein. It's got a little bit of carbs in it that helps you metabolize body fat. Um, so what you do is you mix, you mix it in with whatever carb fuel that you're using. And that little dose of it's a very specific blend of amino acids of proteins that, um, tell your body, Hey, mobilize some body fat and it gives you more energy. And it's really, really good and it works really well. And a lot of these crazy workouts we did in Spain, I mixed in Hornet juice before, during, and after um, workouts, these long bike rides. And I probably logged the most training hours in, in that week that anybody has ever logged as a customer at this camp. Uh, by the end, I'd done 23 and a half or something like that hours of training. Right in a foreign country, making it happen. And Emily told me that other people were asking her, is he always like this freaking crazy with the training, doing this amount of volume? And Emily said, yep. So anyway, Hornet Juice is awesome stuff. And you can get it on the website, Uh There's a link on the side to where you can order Hornet Juice. And you can just try it with like a three-pack. Um, and it lasts an hour and a half, one, one packet. So you can try a three-pack. Uh, you like it more. You order a 10-pack. Man, you want to go all in, get a 20-pack get a or even a 30-pack. I think there's even a 50-pack if you want to save you know, some money and order more in bulk. Yeah, like a 50-pack. And that's what I've got is I've got a big pack of it. And then when I've got enough of it, I just use it for, like, key workouts or just when I feel like I need it, uh, and then for races. And, uh, man, it's wonderful. So anyway, that's that. Let's go ahead and get on with the training log in Spain. Here we go.
0: You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Kuneli.
1: Hi everybody, my name's Brett, I'm a triathlete. i I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status.
0: But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey.
1: We all make mistakes.
0: Come on, dudes, let's go exercise! Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I
2: poop myself! Generals gathered in their masses Just like witches at black masses War pigs, now they have the power Hand of God has struck the hour Oh, Lord, yeah. Alright! training log. I feel so good because I got it all figured out. Huh? Get it? You'll never have it all figured out. But it is Wednesday morning and I went for a swim and I have the Ironman swim down to 1 hour in training. So, and we are way away from the Ironman. I did a little technique change I'm going to share with y'all and that made all the difference in the world. Okay, but anyway, I got out of the pool, and there was Black Sabbath on the, uh, on the uh, 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 Pandora's uh, War Pigs, and that's what I was singing there for a minute. It is 42 degrees outside, and 23 mile-per-hour winds, and I'm swimming outdoors in this crap, and I have that down to a science as well. I go to the locker room, you know, dressed warm, and then I got to run out on the deck, right, and hop in the water. So, in the locker room, I strip down to my swimsuit, but I put on my swim cap, goggles, and a jacket and wrap it, zip up my jacket, and then wrap my waist, you know, with the towel. So, I'm layered back up again, and then while I'm, I, I do, I don't know, whatever I do, I kind of organize my crap while I'm in the locker room and let my body heat back up again inside that jacket. And I put on flip-flops and that way your the bottoms of your feet don't get cold when you walk out across the deck. So now I'm kind of warm a little bit. And then I put on my Black Sabbath or whatever I'm listening to in the put my iPhone in the pocket of my jacket and I kind of jam out there. I jam out with my ham out in the, uh, locker room for a little bit. Not really. But then, uh, until I'm warm enough and then I kind of half-heartedly skip jog out to the deck and I, uh, at the last second I take off my jacket and throw it on the, on the picnic table that they have there and just run and jump into the water as fast as I can. So I'm staying warm up until the last second. Until I have to get, and I'm listening. I'm listening to music up until the last second that I have to get into the water. <clears throat> and let's see. Last night was my interview with Jesse Kropelnicki. Okay, so I am cruising through the water, and my warm-up laps, I, I'm doing a little bit slower than Ironman pace, which I guess could be normal. Uh, One-hour Ironman pace, and then. Um, after a while I'm timing myself every 15 minutes every 15 minutes I gotta do uh, hold on, I gotta merge every 15 minutes it's uh, what's half of 35 18 uh, about if I hit 18 laps 18 lengths in this 26 meter pool every, uh, 15 minutes that I'm going faster than a one hour Ironman pace. So, um, the first 15 minutes, I'm not doing 18, I'm doing like 16 and I'm like, oh crap, you know, got to speed it up. So I tried something and did it for 15 minutes and zoom, I caught up my time and then passed it. (laughs) And it is, Uh, Something I saw in a video one time on YouTube about um, when you bring your arm out of the water, uh, a lot of times, a lot of people have an unbalanced stroke. They'll bring one arm out higher out of the water than the other. You watch people swim. You see that all the time. It's very normal. Um, And it's usually the side that you breathe on, right? You rotate that arm up higher because you're trying to get a breath. Well, the other side... You don't bring up out of the water enough. And then what you're doing is, yeah, your arm is clearing the water, but your upper arm and shoulder is not clearing out of the water. And it creates, and your shoulder is pretty big for a body part. And it uh, creates a huge amount of drag and slows you down. So what you need to do is focus on bringing. So in my case this would be my left arm I breathe on my right and then my left arm doesn't clear out of the water very much Um, it kind of swings wide right so you uh, bend your elbow more and try to get your shoulder out of the water and then counterbalance it by pressing down with your upper body and pulling with with your other arm underwater and that gives you a little bit of total immersion of your upper body under the water more like a torpedo it gets your upper arm completely out of the water on the other side and it also gives you more power on your pull with your side that's underwater and then zoom, zoom, zoom you haul ass like really, really good and you can feel it and it doesn't take as much energy to uh, go that fast so um, one way, but you don't want to point your other arm like straight down to the bottom of the pool while you're doing this oh we got people that don't know how to drive very well up here a little drama and then uh so you want to make sure let's say your left arm is the one you're trying to get up and out to clear your shoulder out of the water well with your right arm you want to make sure that you're extending and gliding um and not uh uh pushing that too far down you want to be pushing it forward so that you uh, when you enter and uh, um, a good example is I love the video of Sun Yang swimming the mile or the 800 or whatever the hell he was swimming in the Olympics in Beijing I think it was Beijing and his swim stroke is so freaking unbelievable and um, if I could swim like that guy just his stroke is so beautiful and uh, anyway that's it. I'm going to go back to jamming out to my uh, Black Sabbath and get stuff done. All right. Oh, for fuel, add a bowl of Ezekiel cereal with 2% milk. Uh, I need to get whole milk. And then um, on the way to the pool, uh, coffee with a couple of scoops of maltodextrin powder, but drinking it over a huge cup of coffee is kind of a slow... Entry into the body. And then um, on the deck of the pool, I had some honey and maltodextrin powder mixed in with some water. Uh, But I only drank a little bit of it. I didn't drink that much of it. But I did, what I did drink, I drank after I was done for, um, you know, kind of recovery carbs, make you feel better. And oh, I did a bike ride last night and I was talking to Keith Burtis. And Keith Burtis is uh, trying to figure out how to, you know, figure out his FTP and uh, functional threshold power. It's what you can do for an hour. If you use Trainer Road as a training tool on an indoor trainer, you don't need to do functional threshold uh, protocol or uh, FTP, uh, whatever, um, power um, tests. He said, oh, I'm going to do a test later this week. And I said, don't even bother with a test. Ride do your workouts and you can tell by the numbers that it's reading out Uh, an FTP test will wipe you out man and then you'll be needing to recover for days after that so just ride and if you can tell by the workouts it generates if you're close or not and then with with good feel and understanding if you feel like you're doing eight out of ten but it says on the FTP thing that you're doing 50% of your FTP uh, then your FTP is too high. Your setting's too high. If you feel like you're doing 10 out of 10 of what you could do for an hour, you're killing yourself to do it for an hour, and it says that you're at 70 percent of the FTP. Well, your FTP's. Uh, well, I may have the numbers wrong, but anyway, your FTP is wrong. So, and you can adjust it, and then once you figure out how to adjust your FTP based on RPE, uh, perceived rate, pre, uh perceived exertion PE, rate of perceived exertion, then, um, you get good at it and then you don't need to do FTP tests, FTP tests, um, all the time or to catch up a uh, trainer road will tell you what your FTP is. And then when you upload your workouts into training peaks, then you can, um, look uh, it builds a curve for you over time of your power, and you can move your mouse along that curve, and it'll tell you your best that you've done over certain periods of time, one minute, two minute, five minute, you know, 10 minute, 15, 20, 30, an hour. It'll tell you what your FTP is for an hour. Uh, for your best ever in the like past six months or three months or whatever it is and then you're like okay out in the real world cycling this is the best I've done is this number right here and then from that number then um uh, then you can start working with okay what should I do during a race and that was actually taught to me by Gordo Byrne and he is Ultraman champion and uh for years and, years and uh, just an awesome, awesome, real world long distance triathlete. So, you gotta look them up Gordo Burn and FTP testing and real world FTP. All right, I gotta go. I gotta brush my teeth. Blah. Out. All right, I'm back. I'm driving home to let the dogs out <clears throat> or so I'll pee all over my new carpet. Anyway, man, I have come across a piece of audio that is just so awesome on nutrition. I want everybody to go listen to it. It is so cool. It is so zen. If you go and listen to the... There's a podcast called The Latest in Paleo. And uh, it's uh, the episode from February 25th. And there is an interview with a guy that wrote a book. Like The Yoga of Eating or something like that. And... um, It has very little to do with yoga and even less about eating, I guess, in my opinion. Because a lot of it, what it has to do is paying attention to what you eat. If you pay attention to what you eat and how it makes you feel, you will never, ever need to diet ever again. Basically, society is so loud with distractions, and food is so loud with flavors nowadays processed foods you know overpowering everything that and we're so distracted with so much going on that we've forgotten how to pay attention to what you're eating and true paleo isn't eating like you know like paleo people did a long time ago it's the style of eating is hey i'm a caveman and if i eat something if it doesn't work for me then I better not eat that again because I'm competing for uh, food, for mates, for shelter, for everything against the weather. I don't have time to F around with food that doesn't work for me. So I'm going to pay attention to what I eat and, uh, and really acknowledge whether how it makes me feel and does it give me energy right is it the right thing at the right time so all you have to do is when you eat ask yourself a little bit later while you're eating you know pay attention to how much of it you're eating what kind of food it is and then a little bit later ask yourself hey did that work for me and then remember it's called mindful eating And you will quickly notice that processed foods make you feel like crap and uh, you have a a high and a crash and then the, um, and make you feel like crap as a person and really good foods make you, um, give you like long sustaining energy and, and just make you feel great. So the example that he gives is that it's like touching a hot stove. Right, you touch a hot stove and it burns you, and then it creates a blister. And then the next time, you don't touch the hot stove again, not because you don't have to, <clears throat> not because you have to remember that it that it uh, that it hurt, but because you paid attention that it hurt, and now it's stored in your memory. Don't eat that, or don't touch that. Don't touch that stove. It's it's bad, but if you eat something and then go and don't pay attention to how it makes you feel, then you never make the connection and then it's not stored in your in your easily accessible natural memory, right? So then you keep making the same mistake over and over and over again. You keep touching that hot stove because you're not connecting that it's the stove that's giving you the burn, right? So, it, so if you actually just eat slowly and pay attention to what you're eating, um... You will make the connections. You'll start to enjoy what you eat for what it does for you. And then you'll start making better decisions about your food and what you eat and the right portions and what kinds of food. You'll start eating more veggies and everything because you'll make that connection about how much better they make you feel. And then it's done. It's all done. You don't have to Sit there and go, I don't eat this kind of food or, you know, set up all these crazy rules about food groups and stuff like that. And use willpower, which you have limited amounts of, to force yourself to eat certain ways. When, um, which eventually gives out when all you have to do is just pay attention and then your body and your brain take care of what you should and shouldn't eat for you for the rest of your life. It's really cool. This Week in Paleo. February twenty fifth episode first interview check it out, out, out out. All right, we're in the Zentri Mobile Studios. I'm driving home, and I had something uh, interesting uh, just happened that I uh, thought I'd mention. Okay, so I was talking to a really good coach, and um, he was saying about the Maffetone interview. He said, and in his opinion, the the you know the the bike portion the 180 minus age, well, basically getting your bike um, heart rate up to the same level as as your heart or as your running heart rate uh, doesn't work. And I said, you know, I thought that too, that you're naturally lower on the bike. But Maffetone said that that's a mental block. And in a way, he didn't say this. But in my mind, it's kind of an excuse for you not to try as hard um, to drive. Because the coach that I'm I'm talking about said it sent him over his threshold, right? So then he couldn't be aerobic anymore. Well, that's true. But why is your threshold that low? right? And you can work to raise your threshold higher, closer to your max heart rate. And um, so like, for example, Lance Armstrong's threshold was really close to his max, you know, it was like 90% of his max or something like that. And and threshold is, you know, how hard can you go before you uh, start getting sore? And like lactic acid, isn't the real indicator, but it's, it's similar. So, um, uh, so, and I'm like, well, what are the, what's the psychology or the mechanics that is going on that is allowing you to not work as hard on the bike to drive your threshold up, to do it, to, to do the work, to make you strong enough to drive your threshold up to the same, your threshold heart rate, the same as your run heart rate, Right. And then, it came came back to me something that I thought a while back, and I'm like, man, this has got to be true. What I'm thinking, what I'm about to tell you, is the fact that the bicycle gearing allows you to coast, and also do a lower cadence, um, and uh to it allows you to get away with less and still go at a pretty good speed right so you can pedal along at a 75 and 80 or whatever and um cadence and still go pretty good and use a lot of muscle strength and all that other stuff right um so you're you're there's not something built into cycling to automatically drive your um to push you to push your threshold up um, because the gearing allows you to to get away with not having to do that. And then, um, so you're, in a way, you're kind of like cheating yourself of the work, right? And let me tell you, but the proof is that if you up your cadence, right? Start upping your cadence to the same as like a high-speed run, so like 92 RPM, you're going to start seeing your heart rate just go up, really. Start up in your cadence a lot. You'll see your heart rate just climb and climb and climb. And then the cadence, right? But then you don't want to do that, right? Because it doesn't feel good because the cadence feels awkward, right? And because you can get away with doing lower cadence. So let's not do the high cadence, right? So it's a mental block, like Maffetone said. It's a mental trick that you're playing on yourself. And um, of not actually doing the hard work. And so if you force yourself to stay at the high cadence and learn over time to do the high cadence, your aerobic system starts doing more of the work than your muscles, right? Because cadence is more aerobic. Higher cadence is more aerobic. Low cadence is very uh, strenuous on the muscles and not as much on the aerobic system. So your aerobic system starts doing more of the work and it drives your heart rate up. And then, um, but you can look at your power meter or whatever and do the same or more power at a higher cadence. And then the next thing you know, you're doing um, high 80s, uh, low 90s RPM and able to sustain it because it's a learned move. And um, it's a learned pattern. So after a while, it's not that hard anymore. And then you do it and now your heart rate's nice and high like your running heart rate is and you're putting out the numbers and now on top of all that you've got a um, higher cadence which is a more efficient way to uh, put out power that you can do for a longer period of time bam and I have no way that I'm gonna be able to repeat that <laughs> again <laughs> so if you want to hear that again go back and uh, replay it so um, anyway I thought that was really interesting we are packing to go to Spain tonight and tomorrow morning I'm meeting a guy to go swim in the morning and uh, that's it All right, bye out so I'm here with Zentri Nurse underground hi we're at the Houston airport and we went to the Delta terminal and then we're told we need to go to Air France
0: so we're on this uh, roller coaster of a train ride that keeps turning oh turning in. oh
2: crap so this is the first time you've traveled with a bike box is it a lot of fun no not at all. With your brand new bike all crammed into a box? Yeah.
0: And then my suitcase that wouldn't zip, and I had to switch suitcases, and then uh, safety pin the front pocket together.
2: Yep. real fancy. Yeah. <laughs> We're high class.
0: We are, yeah.
2: All right. But this is Terminal C. We're still going there. To...
0: No, this is the hotel.
2: That's no, Terminal C, though. Uh, I think, right? I think you just no. said Marriott, and then <laughs> we go to Terminal C. Jeez. i Anyway. Oh, my God.
0: So we just discussed getting off here at the hotel and just staying here all week. You just read Spanish. Spanish stuff. Yeah. Eat some Mexican food.
2: <laughs> all right. More in a little bit. <laughs> Out. All right. We're on the plane and the screen in front of us, the, the, the airplane, it's not a jumbo jet, but it's pretty freaking big. It's an Airbus something. It's
0: not something. a jumbo jet. It's huge.
2: Uh, well, it's not a 747, I mean. No but um, has we're, we're about over New York City and we're flying directly from Houston to Paris.
0: Yeah.
2: And I felt like as we got on the plane, we entered France. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's so just So it's, it's an
2: Air France airline uh, flight and it's so French. It's yeah. awesome.
0: Everybody's real professional looking and nice. Lots of, lots
2: of men wearing scarves and purses, male, male purses. yeah. I, when free. I came, I came out of the bathroom. There was a guy with a scarf waiting for me oh, yeah. to get out. Yeah. yeah. And he looked very tough with his scarf somehow.
0: But the airplane itself was really nice. Like all of it, we each have our own screen. They gave us his headphones tons, and a sleep mask.
2: Tons of video, yeah, audio. free,
0: free movies and uh, music Shh, and whatever. Really and then um, they gave us a, a really nice dinner a while ago. That was pretty oh, cool. Yeah. And blankets okay. and pillows. Wait. We should just stay Wait. on the plane, maybe.
2: <laughs> I like. The pilot, or no, the, uh, the flight attendant over the loudspeaker system was saying something beautiful in French, like da la, da, la, da 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 la wee oui, wee oui, wah wah, je beau, wah and then he switched over to English and he goes something something something. Please and if you if, <laughs> if you have to listen to your headphones and turn that didn't off, say that, but I mean it was it like was because the way now he said it. no no, but because he was talking to Americans oh, now, yeah.
1: there Please was a total. To
2: No, there was a total change in tone of, like, ugh. (laughs) And then did you see the guy walking down the aisle with the uh, French bread little loaves? (laughs) Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. Okay, so dinner was... um,
0: Some kind of chicken smothered in wine sauce and... Yeah, high-fat,
2: real butter, um, high-fat... Carrots. um, uh, With brie cheese. Yeah. And uh, cake...
0: It was a real freaking meal. Black bean and corn salad and like a fresh uh, uh, water thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so the um, the the diet. Yeah, coffee. And the coffee was really good. The French diet is um, way higher fat than the typical American diet. Well, but it's real food. But people are always like. How come the French and Europeans are able to eat so much, you know, butter and everything?
0: They eat small portions.
2: And, well, and then they don't. But we're the ones keeling over from diabetes and and, uh, heart disease and stuff like that. It's because it's real food, and they eat it more slowly, you know, so it doesn't hit you as hard. There's a ritual around eating slowly, enjoying it, you know. Speaking of
0: diabetes... It's because of me being diabetic that we got to go to the front of the security line.
2: Yeah, oh my God! I was worried we were going to miss our flight, yeah, which we wouldn't have. But um, this huge line to go through security, in, uh, security for international,
0: and, we saw and we'd sign. already
2: gone to the wrong terminal yeah. because Delta versus U.S. or France Airlines Air France. Air France. Anyway, so um,
0: we're exhausted from hauling uh, the bikes around in the suitcase.
2: Right. And so there's this little sign that said. Families medical with uh, medical um, liquids for some reason yeah. uh, can go this way, and we grabbed a guy, security guy, and asked, and he went and asked, and he goes, "Yeah, yeah,
0: he's like, because yeah.
2: Emily has insulin, uh, yeah, yeah so <laughs> and I'm like, I'm with her, I'm, I'm going with her." So we bypassed this huge yeah. line to uh, get up here. And, oh, and then okay, so we both have bike boxes and we're lugging them around, and everybody's asking us what, what these things that? are, and then. It's a um, big gun. anyway the um oh the fun. when we got to the, the counter for Air France it was obviously a French guy that was standing <laughs> that was my first interaction with a real French person like in his own environment yeah you know and he looked at me and then he looked at the bike box and he made a face like of kind of kinda yeah. like the kind of just disgu- yeah, disgust yeah disgust kind of in it yeah. and he pointed with his hand with his finger kind of downturned and he goes,
0: what is that? he was what is
2: that, is that? <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like this is already getting to be so good i yeah. love this and then
0: he was like looking at our stuff and he goes y'all are not flying together and i i said yes we are oh yeah we <laughs> yeah, are oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah we are he was looking and the we've already way.
2: like like um
0: i can't figure out what like that there's is.
2: things on the airplane that are little gadgets that we that are People from other cultures, you know, another culture of France obviously know what it is, and we're like, what the hell is that? So, but you having fun, baby? Yeah,
0: now that we're in the, in the air, it's, it's all good.
2: Oh, so I'm watching, yeah, you know, French, French uh, TV that's queued up for you to watch whatever you want. It's, I've watched a mountain bike race across South Africa. I've watched a special on Corsica, which is a south of France thing, island. And something about Australia, a tourism thing of Australia. And then uh, Emily started watching Gravity, which you've never seen before, which is not something that you want to watch when you're 30,000 feet up in the air. Yeah, that's
0: what I kept thinking, like, oh. And then I'm standing back there by that door. I (laughs) flush it.
2: So I'm watching watching it out of the corner of my eye because you can't not watch it while it's going on, while I'm watching my own thing. And uh, so I I, I got the impact a little bit, too. And then I go to the... I uh, get up to go to the bathroom, and I go to pee, and then I'm standing up, and I flush the toilet, <laughs> and the air pressure drop made everything fly around inside the um, the bathroom for a second. It made the toilet paper fly. Did you oh, Did you notice that? notice that? It made it go <laughs> and like whip around, Probably and I was I like, "Holy noticed. shit! I'm falling out of space into the <laughs> into the ocean."
0: Well yeah, so while I was standing there waiting forever, you know, I was right by that big door back there and I was like looking at it going, "Oh my god, what if that like opened right now and we get sucked out <laughs> <I know. laughs> just like on the movie." Yeah. But it was a really good movie. I can see why. Oh, it's really good. The whole thing from the beginning was just like I don't like those kind of movies. Yeah. No. Well, I wanted to see it cuz I mean, it's supposed yeah. to have been really good. I don't a like it where movie. it
2: just never stops. Yeah. I like more um well, now I'm watching a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> We're the Millers,
0: where Jennifer Anderson's the stripper.
2: Yeah, I noticed yeah. that too. Yeah, I know.
0: I pointed it out. You here. pointed it out
2: to me. Alright. Okay, so, so uh we left the ground at six. Yeah.
0: Hopefully and we're not gonna like, miss our
2: flight, our connecting flight. Okay, so they talk in French first. And to me it just sounds like somebody juggling marbles yeah. in their mouth. But it sounds pretty.
0: I can't even understand what he's saying when he's talking English. Yeah.
2: I'm trying to remember what any really French that I know. Merci for thank you. Au
0: revoir. What's that? Is that Hello? Over there.
2: <laughs> Major is Bonjour is goodbye.
0: Is it au revoir? Is that hello?
2: Or hello. I don't know. I don't know.
0: Anyway.
2: And then um, Bon is good. Merci. Um, I can't remember. There was something else that. Uh, I know Spanish all right to get around. So when we get to Spain, I'll be a little bit better off. Okay. And, um, actually, I can read, like in a brochure or something like that, I can read enough words in Spanish. To, um, make kind of sense of what they're talking about. Yeah. But that's different than, like, somebody speaking it at you at a million miles an hour with, like, a machine gun. I, I can't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> when it gets going really fast. But anyway, we're gonna land in Paris what time?
0: I think it's, like, 9.25, and then our flight leaves at, like, 10.25 or something in like that. In the morning? Yeah, but, you know, we have all the weird chump changes, so I don't know how that calculates, okay. and then we arrive so- at one. Um,
2: before water. we left, I downloaded like five audiobooks to my iPhone. So I'm going to listen to those. And uh, and
0: I've got just regular books, like the got, old
2: school books. I don't know what those are. What, are, just, what do they look they like?
0: Pa- They're paper and you turn the pages. And oh, you read the and I
2: wrote a chapter of my book with Tawny, um, The Surfer's Guide to Triathlon. Yeah,
0: that's good. Which I'm I really excited
2: about. Well, until it actually happens, you know, it's all fun, but um, I was writing my section about the bike, and uh, she writes a section uh, about the same thing, but her perspective, so we have two people, uh, there really is a a little bit of a generation gap, I'm 10 years older than she is, at least, maybe 12, and she's female, I'm male, she's west coast, I'm third coast. (laughs) a Gulf Coast surfer yeah we live there and um, and I'm a long time triathlete and and uh, and a um, short time surfer but I discovered surfing when I was older and fell in love with it immediately and she grew up surfing and then discovered triathlon so but surfing led me to triathlon so so anyway it's going to be a cool book alright
0: I'm ready to watch
1: my movie again okay
2: and more jennifer aniston stripping coming up I'm, in, I'm down
1: all right so the attitudes you bring and the weather you know we've really been able to create a situation a community here even if it's uh only for you know two weeks out of the 52 where people come together and really encourage each other support one another train very hard um for some people this is going to be a launch board to a really great season. For other people, this is in and of itself this is incredible. Uh, this is the goal of the season. For some people, for most people though, it's probably going to be both. And you're going to have to really, you're going to be tired. You're going to be, there's going to be t- down moments and it's hopefully the Andalusian landscape will inspire you to, to find you
0: know, something a little de- uh, special, a little deeper. Um, so yeah, um, we have some
1: boring announcements, but I personally just want to say, you know me, Chris and, Christine, and Sean do this you know, for fun. This is our vacation and we love it. And um, we're really glad you guys joined us. So, uh
0: to you guys. Cheers yeah, to SLB sixteen.
2: Cheers. Okay. All right. It is Tuesday morning. I'm in Spain. And I'm running along this long road with some kind of juniper trees or something, tall, narrow, skinny trees. I posted a photo of it on Twitter, zentriathlon.com. Zentriathlon on Twitter. It's like perfectly flat. So, and I'm liking it. <laughs> it has been crazy. I haven't posted to the training log in a couple days, a few days, because it's been absolutely nuts. And it's been awesome. So let me try to back up a little bit. Let's see, we flew in on Saturday and our bikes missed the connecting flight in Paris. So when we landed in Malaga, Spain, well, getting on the flight to Spain, all of a sudden we go from being French to being Spanish. In moments, it says, you're getting on the plane. You know, you're walking through the side of the plane. Hola, hola. Buenos tardes. All right, I used to live in a border town for two years in high school of Mexico, and I could actually speak some Spanish, and uh, so I can kind of understand and I can kind of read everything so getting on the plane but then my Spanish accent is a Mexican Spanish and it's different you know it's a different dialect so I have to be careful and I think the Spanish don't really care about Mexico one way or the other (laughs) so they're not sympathetic So anyway, we get on the plane, and it's Spanish food. The most interesting thing, nutritionally...
0: Which way should I go? I'll
2: go this way. Because European food is so much more whole food and slower to make. And far less cheap, profitable ingredients. Hold on, I'm running into the wind. I'm gonna record again when I'm not running into the wind. Unless y'all can hear me, you can probably hear. It kind of comes and goes. And then a whole lot more whole fat, whole grain. It's like food from the 50s. (laughs) And it's so good. (sighs) Chunks of real meat with whole fat yogurt, cheese. And like appropriate amounts of bread and grain not over the top and then fruit like the default is healthy and they haven't let I hate to say this capitalism (laughs) to make a quick buck for whatever company like invade your diet so and then the whole pace of life is a whole lot slower So you're actually able to make healthy choices for food. So anyway, so we landed in Malaga and our bikes never showed up. So when we got picked up by John and Christine, we drove back to camp. And with Our Spanish, with my Spanish, I'm running alongside a little highway right now. Wide shoulder. By the way, the roads here are incredible. I'm going to record when I'm running into the wind. This got me a little worried. Hold on. Hold on. All right, I'm back. I don't know if y'all could tell, but uh, running into the wind with the traffic was just a little much for me. Here goes the police. Trafico, policio, civil. Anyway, I got the, uh, the privilege of being in, being in a foreign country and needing help. And not speaking the language. (laughs) And I'm glad I wasn't in China or something. Because there was a girl in front of us that was Chinese and she was trying to find her lost luggage. And that was hopeless. So, you know, it's pretty standard in the western countries. Here's a phone number, we'll call you. What's your phone number? We'll call you. Call us. Here's a website. Of course this is all in Spanish. Check the website. Here's your tracking number. If you're if and when your bikes show up, let us know. We'll know. We'll let you know. Better. And there you know. Whatever. So next morning, this is late. Man, I'm pissed, like all night long. We're spending all this time and money coming to a training camp. Specifically to ride bikes. And you've got no bike. <laughs> and the rides start tomorrow. And now we got to drive all the way into town the next day. And the training camp is up in the mountains. So we got to drive all the way into town down by the coast hoping that our um, that our bikes have showed up so early in the morning over the internet checked the website and translating all the Spanish but basically said we think your bikes are here so John and I drove down Again, it's like a 45-minute drive or more. Back down to the airport, they had our bags, my bikes. And we picked them up, drove back up here, and started assembling, and then went out for our bike ride, first bike ride. And the feeling I got when I translated the website into hey we've got your bikes was this ah oh, so nice even though we didn't have them yet <clears throat> the cessation the cessation of not knowing feels so good at least we know where they are you know diagnosis just drink some water okay first bike ride about three hours it's a big group of people here and I'm my road bike has a bad shifter on it so I'm on the the time trial bike and it's rolling terrain and everybody else is on road bikes you know they're riding a little peloton and I'm hanging off the back as you should if you're on a time trial bike This is a nice ride. So, the setup is we're in a ranch. Not ranch style, it is an old Spanish ranch house. It's huge, with a big courtyard. Everything's tile and stucco. And everybody has their own room. It's really cool. It's two stories and there's garlic fields all around us and olive field so everything smells like garlic and olives and we're down in the there's mountain ranges on either side of us and we're down in the flat park so you can do what I'm doing this morning walk out the house and go for a flat run and just run. <coughs> but when you get on your bike, you can pedal 15 minutes, 10 minutes, and be in hills and mountains. So yesterday's, yesterday's, no, Sunday's uh, intro ride was three hours A and B group. A group leaves first, they're the slow group, and B group leaves later, <coughs> eventually catches the A group. By the way, like, every car here is diesel. And by the way, a lot of stuff I'm telling you, I already knew that before I came over here. I'm not, like, shocked or amazed. <laughs> I'm telling you for... Like, I, I know that every car is over here. Over here is diesel. But uh, just to describe it for those of you that don't know or want to know if it's really true, you know, Yes. <laughs> Anyway, so, it's like, yes, I know, the pace of life over here is much, much slower. I like it. I've always liked it. The idea of it. So, I've lived in Chicago and bigger cities, Houston, San Diego, and the frantic pace of life, I don't like it. So I like this a lot. Anyway, Okay. And that ride, the intro ride, was pretty flat with little hills. Oh, it had a couple of hills. Well, it had one hill that was nice. And then if you wanted to, you could end the ride by climbing up the side of this mountain. Or big, kind of half mountain, half hill in between. And I did that. (sighs) So we have people here from California, Philadelphia, Minnesota, Texas, me, Emily, New York. We have cyclists, triathletes to athletes. And a runner who's biking just a little bit. I'll tell you more about Eugene in a second because it's an interesting story. So... (sighs) I've snuck in a couple runs with other people. I think this is my first run by myself. Running pretty much every day, about an hour or so. And let's see then. Yeah, Sunday was a three-hour ride and a one-hour run. So that was four hours. And then Saturday when we flew in, I managed to get in a one-hour run, which was nice. And then Spain is six or seven hours ahead of Texas. So you try to stay up late as long as you can. And then crash. And then when you wake up, it's Spanish morning. So you've timed it. And I managed to do that, so I'm fine. And so Monday... bike ride. Take off. And we're going to do a section of the Tour of Spain. And we go through... I forgot the name of the town. I can't think of it while I'm running. Well, actually, first thing Monday, John and I get up and we go swim. Swim for an hour. It's a nice swimming pool. The town... We leave the farmland and drive 10 minutes into town, and there's a city, municipal, uh, what would you call it, swimming pool. Plenty of space. So I swam for an hour. John said I shamed him in the swimming an hour. He was gonna quit. And I go, well, I got 15 more minutes. He's like, well, I guess I'll swim. So, so there was the hour swim and then I was feeling kind of off but I didn't really tell anybody still jet laggy feeling like crap and then A group leaves after a long time A group leaves to go on this crazy mountainous ride that's going to take 3 to 5 hours or more like 5 to 6 so I ended up they take off first B group faster people hang around a little bit and then we take off and by the way Saturday, Sunday, and Monday it was the craziest freaking wind here and they said it was really unusual it's usually totally not like this hold on I'm going to drink some water. take a shot of honey nothing honey Hold on, I'm probably going to pee, too. Uno momento, por favor. Uh, okay, I'm back. By the way, that reminds me. When you're upset, the last place you want to throw a temper tantrum about missing, lug, missing anything or whatever, and you don't know the language, is at their airport. So I, I, I remained very civil and calm and cool. Cause I don't need the Spanish police putting (laughs) and telling me that I'm being, uh, (sighs) impolite. I'm like, I was very, very polite and just like all is in, you know, just calm down, be cool. This will probably work itself out. Don't throw a fit about your bike. Just be calm. Best thing you can do is separate yourself, go take a nap. And that's pretty much what I did. John and Christine said that they could tell, and Emily too, that I was really upset about the bikes not showing up. But you could just tell from people's body, you know, from somebody's body language and the way they speak. But I didn't do anything about it. I figured we won't know until morning, so go to bed. Go for a run and then go to bed, and that was nice. It's nice growing up and becoming more mature. Okay. I've always been like that, though. Not throwing, trying not to throw fits over stuff. Okay. All right. Let's start running again. We've got 18 and a half minutes left on this run. One thing, whenever you uh, travel, I've noticed is the food is not your own. You got to be your natural tendency is to not eat as much because you don't know the food so you get in a few fewer calories because you're not eating as much because it tastes different you're not into it as much well then you end up running a calorie deficit which is bad if you're at a training camp (laughs) so on purpose I've been eating more so that I don't bonk or blow up stuff like that if I don't like it Or if it's different, make sure to take an extra bite or two. (laughs) Because if I did like it, I would have. Anyway. All right. That's a good training tip. So, what happened next? (laughs) The ride is flat for like one minute. Two, three, five minutes, something like that. And then it went up. And we climbed... I don't know, like 1,500, 2,000 feet or something like that in a short amount of time. And it went from farmland to a bona fide mountain peak with some of the most insane winds. And we had a tailwind on that part. But I'm riding my tri bike. And so it doesn't handle very good. You know, it's not a road bike. Got a big truck coming up behind me. Oh, a tractor. It's just like Texas. Emily and I are joking about how much... (laughs) It's like Texas. It's Euro, Texas. It's farmland. You know? It's pretty cool. Except it smells nice. Cotton doesn't smell very well. It's indifferent. Okay. So, like, now I'm running on a dirt road that's a farm maintenance road, so it's got little muddy potholes kind of here and there. It's totally trail running. And it's running between fields, but there's old stone work and trees it's really cool okay so so I'm trying to keep up with John who's a professional triathlete up this mountain climb and it's killing me but I'm doing it to make it to the top of course then you get covered in sweat put on extra clothes start going downhill and I started getting cold And I could tell from that climb, that's really all I needed to do today. (laughs) It was an hour and a half or something like that of threshold. I mean, it was nuts. So then coming down the other side of El Torcal, which is the name of the mountain peak, it's like 10, 12% grade downhill, and I'm on a tri-bike. It was insane. And... So I'm descending a little bit slower than the other guys. But I'm doing okay. We get down to this little town, and we have lunch. And we descend some more, and then we turn into this headwind. And... I start getting blown off my bike. And I'm having to ride. I'm I'm really, really tired. And I'm having to ride. At one point, I'm riding with a foot unclipped. So if I get blown off, I can put my foot down. But you're talking about going up. 11% grade, down. 11% grade, 12% grade. With extreme winds and crosswinds and there's cliffs on the side <laughs> and guardrails and the road's narrow and we have a support man and after a while of this i'm like i'm really tired kind of cold. Whenever I talk, my speech is a little slurred because my mouth's cold and my tongue doesn't want to work. And I'm like, I think I quit having fun about half an hour ago. I'm done. So I got off the bike. I got hit with a dust devil that came out of this gravel gully. Remember, this is high mountains. There's Spanish... Goat herders and stuff. Like, for real. (laughs) It's extreme terrain. Totally out of movies. It's so crazy. And I'm like, I quit having fun about half an hour ago. I'm starting to get pissed. So, I'm stopping. And my legs were tired and you're here for a week and I'm a triathlon coach and if I was coaching somebody I'd say stop you're done if you want to be better in a day or two stop now you're done for the day and get in the van mud 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 and then eat and uh, come back and train some more the next day. Right? So it takes a little bit of ego control to do that. And so I did. And Emily and Christine are in the van. And uh, they picked me up. And Christine and everybody else said, but I don't want to talk poorly about the wind. It was very unusual. Here and, and there's people at this camp that have come for years, and they're like this. This was insane, the wind. And so Eugene is a runner, and he's in the van as well with his bike. And they say uh, I just ran past a. Uh, a guy hoeing the field, the garlic, by hand. That's pretty cool. I didn't even notice him. It's quiet. And uh, yeah, I'm running with garlic on either side of me right now within feet, like 10 feet to my left and 10 feet to my right. Huge garlic field. Anyway... And I said, again, are you okay, Eugene? He's like, oh yeah. And he's a runner, he's just biking for fun. He's not like at all an expert cyclist. (laughs) I said, man, I almost got blown off my bike. I'm done. And he goes, you almost did. I did get blown off my bike. He got clean blown off his bike. And I was like, okay, so I'm not crazy. (laughs) And then people kept going. Some people did. But we were broken apart. And then we started getting messages from other camp, the other camp director Pick up more people. This ride's over. It's too hard with all the wind and the mountain passes. It's getting dangerous. So we picked up a few more people and bikes. And we were all laughing about how crazy it was. And uh, they took us back to the farmhouse and then they went back to go get more people. And I'm laying on the couch sleeping. And John walks in, still wearing all the cycling kit and helmet. And I'm like, dude, did you ride that whole thing? He goes, oh yeah. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. Dude, you are fucking badass, man. He's like, oh you know, wasn't that bad. I'm like, you're nuts. <sighs> I've ridden horrible, horrible stuff. <sighs> Anybody that could have ridden that is a freaking bike ninja, man. That is awesome. Anyway, so then John started egging me on, like, come on, let's go run. Let's go run. You'll feel better if you go run. I was like, man, I'm
1: tired. I'm sleepy.
2: He's like, no, let's go run. So I went and ran, and we ran 36, 37 minutes, pretty much the same route I'm running now. A little bit different. So when I totaled it up, I got in four hours yesterday. And I looked at the bike ride numbers, and it was a 3.3 out of 5. Like totally hard. Very, very hard. And then the funny thing was, once I got off the bike and I got in the van, I started looking around, and I'm like... Oh, man, this is awesome. (laughs) I actually get to see the countryside instead of staring at my handlebars and my front wheel on the pavement and trying not to die. And then we're climbing back up. The van's taking us back to the... uh, to the farmhouse. And we're climbing up the other way over el torcal this mountain and i was like Whoa. i descended this on a tri bike and they were like yeah dude you're freaking crazy i was like yeah i'm crazy that's nuts dude. that's this is bullshit <laughs> i wouldn't believe it if you told me if i hadn't have just done it like you oh my god okay so dinner last night Lots of coffee, yogurt, fresh greens, lots of veggies. Oh, so good. And then, um, I'm definitely doing the fueling, overfueling during the workouts. What you would think would be overfueling, but then having just tons of energy and, uh, And then stopping eating when I'm not hungry anymore during the regular meals and snacking. And I'm getting used to the food, so I seem to be okay. And then today, three to five hour bike ride starts at around 11. So I got up kind of early. When the sun came up and went for a one-hour trail run. This is a very much cycling-focused camp. There's no organized runs. It's organized cycling. Everything else. Here's a stream. Well, it's not a stream. It's a little canal. You can hear it. Let's not drop my phone into the water. So, old concrete and stone irrigation canals. So you start looking around the countryside. Antiquiera. Antiquiera is the name of the town. That's the mountain town we're nearest. It's a decent size. Looks like it might be a few thousand people. And... Uh, oh, I'm going to have a shot of honey. And the Moors. This was a Moorish holdout for a long time, so there's an old Moorish castle. And there's a bullring... And this is where Madonna filmed one of her videos, maybe Spanish Lullaby or something like that. Hold on. I'm about to turn into the wind for a minute. Hold on, I'll be right back. Get rid of this wind. Okay. So I forgot to mention on the first big bike ride, the three hour ride. Emily did the whole thing, which was pretty rad. (laughs) She goes, I'm not the slowest. There's somebody slower than me. I'm like, that's pretty cool. So, this is also way more up in the, not way, but it's more up in the mountains than I thought it was going to be. So, it's a little colder, but not much. Than I thought it was gonna be. So I'm using all the cold weather stuff that I brought that I thought I probably wasn't gonna use all that much. When I looked at the weather forecast before we came here, I looked at Malaga, that's on the coast. And we're up in the mountains. Up a thousand feet or so. Or it's much cooler though. And Much less wind in the forecast from here on out, I think. And better temperatures. And today's ride's not gonna be mountainous. I think after yesterday, they're, they're choosing which rides to do. After yesterday's experience, today being more mellow is probably a good idea. I got one more minute and I'm done with my hour run. and then I'm gonna eat and probably shower. There's our dog again. And really, I guess that's about it for now. I'll think of things. I really like it. This is really cool. The whole experience is just crazy. It's so much fun and in very safe hands. People that have been running the camp for years, really know the area and like I was saying hey baby.
1: Oh, it's okay
2: Spain is really laid back and we're in a rural part of Spain so it's like really laid back so there's no stress everything's really nice and casual so it's definitely a vacation with some bike riding mixed in. And I'm done with my run. I'm going to walk the rest of the way to the house. Maybe I'll run. Yeah. I got time. I think I'll run. So that's it for now. I'll catch you all with more in a little bit. (sighs) Out. Okay, I'm done with my run and I'm back. Oh, here's John. Hey, dude. Hey, dude. All right. So with limited internet and such <sighs> um, I downloaded a bunch of ebooks and you know downloaded a bunch of productivity and anti-procrastination ones which are nice but I have some advice <laughs> I'm not one to be given advice I'm just saying my experience is You can listen to that stuff and it gets old after a while. It's just rehashing of the same old things. One, quit being lazy and just do your stuff. Two, if you don't like what you're doing, if you find that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, it's quite possible you don't like it. If you have a choice, drop the stuff that you don't like. And get into the stuff you do like. And then you'll find that doing... The things that you need to be doing... You'll stop procrastinating because you like them. I don't put off runs because I like running. You can learn to like something. But man, if it's not something that you don't want to like... That doesn't like speak to your heart... You're just never going to really be that into it. Like, I used to not like running... But I like triathlon. So I learned to like running. Now I love running. But there's definitely things that people are not into. You know, you grew up in the country and you hate the country and you want to be in the city. You can't learn to love the country. I mean, you could. But move to the city, man. Then you'll quit putting things off and not getting stuff done that you're supposed to be doing. You'll be so into it and so happy. You'll be like way more productive and happy. So it's a little frustrating. Like, I don't have Pandora here. This doesn't work in this country or something like that. So I'm just running along and and also with data limitations. I'm listening to these audiobooks and it's just the same old crap. And you got to just <clears throat> learn to love being productive, actually. But not busy. But always asking yourself, Hey, is there something I could be doing right now? And then if you learn to love that feeling, then uh, of, uh, you do the Zen approach, and you search your feelings, Luke, for... You know, man, getting stuff done makes you feel good. Okay, so if I want to feel good, then get more stuff done. and quit being lazy. It's really interesting. So it's like the zen approach to productivity is <laughs> do and then feel. And then analyze. <sighs> okay, I think that's it. I need to eat something. Out. Alright. I think it's Wednesday morning. I'm at the house hear the birds going. I'm standing in a breezeway trying to cool down because we're leaving to go into town in 30 minutes. I'm drinking a coffee, huh? And again, it's Wednesday morning and I ran an hour and a half and uh, uh, 10 miles. It's totally flat, but um, a little off-road. Actually, all, almost all of it off-road on farm trails, I guess is what I'll call them and um, ran really really well and that's really nice because yesterday we did a 75 mile bike ride through the mountains, so it was around 5500 feet of climbing Um, averaging I averaged 16.6 miles per hour and lots of vertical and it took uh, four and a half hours and I put out Um, my Ironman Watts, my average Ironman Watts. So a really, really good ride. And what was really cool was I, um, I led the finish. So, um, and I'll tell you how in a minute, but it's a really cool feeling to be with a bunch of really good cyclists and then be the strongest one at the end. And it's actually, it takes self-control and it's really simple um, on the climbs, you hold back and don't let it burn, you don't let it burn, uh, too much because you do enough of those and you're done, and, uh, hey, you to I'm recording, come over here. It's
0: cold on the side of the door.
2: Actually, it's colder right there. Right here, it's warmer. Uh, How you doing? I'm good. How was the really- bike ride yesterday?
0: It was awesome. Yeah. It was great. I love it. it. Really pretty. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I rode to the van. Up you the got old. to
2: take somebody to the emergency room yesterday.
0: Yeah. And then we we're reading about that drug, and it's like, um,
2: pretty crazy. good, huh? yeah. yeah.
0: So he's not going to take it, <laughs> needless to say. Potentially fatal. But
2: Spanish healthcare is socialist, so no paying for anything?
0: No, we just walked out. And for an ER visit. How
2: is that possible? I don't
0: know.
2: Why didn't America have that?
0: No, but my feet are cold. I'm going to
2: go get ready. Okay. okay. Anyway, on the uh, climbs, um, hold back a little bit and that's ego control, control because you're letting people gap gap you by a lot. And then um, getting really arrow on the descent, crouching down as low as you possibly can and you gain on them. And then um, it ends up evening out. Every, every time they outclimb you, you end up catching them on the descent every single time. Because they're tired starting off the descent, and you climb consistently and under control over the top and speed up over the top to get up to your um, descending speed sooner. And then you spend more time faster. And that ends up evening it out. Those of you that are into the physics of all that know what I'm talking about. You want to spend more time at a higher speed. Um, If you climb the hill too hard, then when you get to the top, you slack off. And where where it's flat at the top and starting to go downhill, that's a leverage you can use to accelerate downhill. But if you're too exhausted to use it, you're just going easy. But if you've held back a little bit, you can use that flat and that very first part of that downhill to accelerate, to assist you in accelerating. And now you're going faster, and now you're spending more time at 30 miles an hour or 40 miles an hour. Anyway... Um, And so at the end of the ride, uh, we got back to the flat farmland. I was uh, pulling at the front, letting everybody uh, pull behind me. That was really, really cool. Anyway, uh, so four and a half hours at 205, 210 watts normalized power, which would put me at about a four and a half hour, 445 um, Ironman bike, I think. I think. At in Texas. So, because um, that's a lot flatter. Anyway, the um, what was the other thing? So yesterday, uh, remember, I ran for an hour in the early in the morning, and then we did this four and a half hour bike ride. Um, and then when I got back, I ran with John. I only ran ten minutes, uh, just to flush out the legs, and well, to do a brick run. And um, I'm in the Maca school. Of of uh, brick running until your legs feel normal. And then the purpose of the brick run is pretty much done at that point. So if you don't want to go further, you don't need to. So I only ran 10 minutes. And then um, Eugene uh, got his fingers. Emily smashed his fingers in the car door <laughs> last night. So they took him to the uh, Spanish Socialist Healthcare Emergency Room. And he got free health care. It's really interesting. Mm. And then um, slept, and then this morning, hour and a half run, and I noticed something on the run, that running um, can be a lot like a bike ride. So we're going into town today, so I'm going to skip the bike ride. There is no bike ride today. And um, you can turn running into a bike ride. You can purposely try to find your um, climbing muscles on the bike, while you're running, and work those, um, and get your heart rate up, and um, you're getting two workouts in one, you're getting a, a run, and you're working, you're climbing on your bike, so I kind of turned my run, uh, you kind of lengthen out the stride a little bit, and imagine, get a good feel for the ground, and imagine that you're pushing off the pedals while you're running, and um, and that you're doing your Side-to-side motion a little bit, not too much. Um, like you're climbing on a bike, and all of a sudden your run is a bike ride. So that's me rationalizing the way a bike ride today. I wanted to go for a bike ride, but I was told I was not allowed to. It turns out. <laughs> it turns out spouses on their anniversary uh, trip to Europe want to spend time with you in the local Spanish town. And you saying that you're going to go for a bike ride instead, it uh, doesn't. <clears throat> doesn't go over very well. Shh, don't y'all tweet about this. This is between you and me. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, anyway, I got to shower up because we're going to go into town and go check out stuff. I'll just pretend in my mind I'm on a bike ride. I can do that. All right, out. All right, we are walking up. What do you think this is? A 15% grade or something? From a old Spanish town center up to the Moorish castle. Alambria. And you can hear this is all really old, like Roman stuff. And there's water running down the little canal. And we just ate paella. We were looking for soccer jerseys, football for Kai. There's an archway that we just walked through that is probably 2,000 years old. So we're trying to get up to this palace for our ticket time so we don't miss part of it. How you feeling, babe?
0: can't talk climbing good how was your lunch it was really good paella. what was on it it was rice and lima beans and chicken it was very yummy with like a lemon kind of did you see me squeeze a lemon on it I did
2: that lemon that was, was my touch thank you yeah I'm a chef now
0: well, Everybody told me that I should eat paella while we're here and I did it's awesome
2: lots of mopeds
0: yeah Lots of cute doggies.
2: Lots of skinny people. We got a diet Pepsi. What do you think that was, eight ounces? Pepsi
0: light. Light.
2: That was probably eight ounces?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You were done with it in like two seconds. Yeah.
2: I was like, whoa, there it went. It was in a glass bottle. So all right, we're going in, in a minute, once we get to the top. Holy crap. Uh. Alright, it's like 9.30 at night, I just finished running an hour and a half, we got back from La Algiarda, God dang, I can't can't remember the name of it, it's the coolest thing, it's this huge castle, but it's the Moors, it's Islamic, tons of Arabic influences, and it overlooks Granada, Spain it's about oh, like an hour hour and a half drive from the house and it is massive and yeah, it's way up on a, on the side of a mountain and there's a palace within the palace and the palace that's within the palace is freaking huge and so intricate and I couldn't quite get a idea of like when it was first built. But let's say 500 AD and then there's Roman stuff around. But anyway, um 500 AD uh the Moors had it until like 1400 and then the uh, European Catholics came and took it back over. And there's layers upon layers of stuff that's been plastered over or tiled over. And then, you know, when the Catholics took it back from the Muslims and... and uh Holy crap, I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. If you come to southern Spain, you've got to go see this thing. It is crazy. Anyway, on the way back, I said, there's all these plans to go out to eat. And I said... I'll go out to eat. I'm gonna go run. I've had enough of being around people today. I'm kind of an introvert in a way. I get exhausted being around hordes of people. I don't like it. So, like a football game, a crowded beach, you know, a big city, lots of tourists, I get. Um, it drains me. That's an introvert. Um, I, but. I get my extrovert outlet by talking to y'all, you guys. That's how I get to be a public person. It's on occasion when I choose, I'm uh, social and all that. And that energizes me to get rest away from people. And and then also, for example, you wanna be a Kona qualifier, you wanna be a 10 hour Ironman athlete You got to make choices and you got to be determined. I'll never forget Chrissy Wellington <clears throat> telling the three people that I was with while she's running laps around the track in Boulder. I'm the three-time Ironman world champion, or she was four or whatever. This is what I do, or however she said it. Of course I'm out here running this hard. This is what it takes. <sighs> so I'm running at night. <laughs> It's six minutes from the house down dirt Jeep Road to a paved road that's like super smooth and super safe. No lights though, none. And I'm running up and down that and it's about half a mile long. And uh, running up and down that road that's half a mile long for an hour and a half. (laughs) So I saw a lot of that road. I counted the... On my last length of the road, I counted the number of dashed lines. There's 103 dashed lines on that road. Oh, man. Okay. I think that's going to be it for this episode. We'll pick up next episode with part two of the, the trip to Spain. And I think the Ben Greenfield interview... So, what I've found so far, your takeaway from this, no matter where you go, everything's the same, you know, but instead of hola, like they say in Texas, they say hola, here in Spain. (laughs) That's about it. (sighs) Everything is the same. So, what you're searching for is how do things make you feel? you know, avoid anger, avoid hatred, avoid trying to figure everybody out, Uh, search out good food, search out good feelings, search out accomplishment, self-fulfillment, helping others, it's all the same. Oh, when I was running, there was two cyclists or three cyclists riding side by side down this road with lights, they're out training, and the other day on the bike ride, there was some pro Oh, John said he knew who he was. John knows some of the pros here. Um, riding a specialized shiv with a disc wheel. Yeah. Out in the flats. And that was pretty cool. I think I see some cyclists now. That light's moving slow enough. I'm out in the middle of a huge plain, but I can see mountains all the way around me. And uh, there's a freeway way off. Way, way off that you can barely hear. Smells a little bit like poo. I think they fertilized the fields today. I see some nice stars. I think I see the Big Dipper. They have the same Big Dipper here. There's a sliver of a moon, a Cheshire cat grin of a moon. And that's the moonlight I was running under. And then about six or seven hours, it'll be over College Station, Texas. Nueva, Spain. And to finish my fuel. But anyway, um, so there's that. And let's talk about training. So wherever you go, you search out the same feelings. Pushing your ability. Trying to go get up to where it's difficult, a little bit difficult, and then sustain it for long periods of time. Then you can take your training everywhere. Right? If you're doing a short race or a hilly race, you push your anaerobic threshold. If you're doing a long, flat race, then you just push your endurance. Spend your time doing that. If you're doing in between or a mix, then do both. Mm. And if you're fading at the end, what I'm learning from Jesse K is that it is totally uh, fuel. You've run out of fuel. And you should have eaten more and continue to eat more the whole way. And you can prolong the burn of what you ate with some uh, protein and fat. It makes it last longer. It elongates the burn. So mix that stuff in to taste with your, uh, with your fuel and with your meals... And you'll find that you have more power for longer. And you feel better. And it's not up and down and up and down. And then once you get that kind of down over a few workouts, you can start fueling on real food before you go work out. So like before this run, I had some whole grain cereal with dried fruit in it. And probably had some seeds in it too. With uh, milk. Whole fat milk and I ran on that, right? I didn't eat anywhere near as much sugary crap while I'm out running. I was able to run off of, uh, that stuff, you know, but I did, uh, I did Perpetuum and a little bit of maltodextrin, but also mixed in some Hornet juice and Hornet juice is protein powder, amino acid powder. And, uh, they like to call it. And then, uh, Perpetuum has a little bit of fat. and I think it has a little bit of protein in it. Not much. Mm. That right there was a swig of Hornet juice and Perpetuum mixed together. (laughs) Um, Tomorrow will be Thursday. We'll be here Thursday and Friday, and then we fly back. So Thursday and Friday will, will be big bike ride days up into the mountains, I believe. And so stay tuned for that. That'll be really, really cool. And true to our sponsors, I record the whole thing with Asunto Ambit 2. The battery life is freaking crazy. Go out training all day and use, like, you still have 56% of your battery left. I'm talking about all day. And then um, Amrita Bars. Discount code ZEN. And... On the bike ride yesterday, that I totally rocked, four and a half hour bike ride. I just ate an Amrita bar, one per hour. So every 20 minutes, I'd take a bite, eat about a third of it, and I'd polish it off by the hour. And if I was feeling any lower than that, then I would just drink this mix of Perpetuum and Malto and Hornet juice that I'd mixed into a bottle, and was like a freaking machine the whole time, same freaking lot. So if you get this podcast in your ear holes, <laughs> tweet back at me, Centrathlon, tweet back at me how to say in proper Spanish, not, not you're from the United States and it's Mexican Spanish, but like if you're in Spain, how do you ask for a soccer jersey in a size for a nine-year-old boy if you're in a store? My God, we had so much trouble with that. We left this one store and I said, I don't think their Spanish is the same that I learned in Spanish class. <laughs> I'm like, uh, football, uh, I'm pointing at the shirts, football, uh, uh, uh niño, uh, nueve, uh, años, TNA, uh, and like holding, this, you know, your hand up to your middle of your chest, uh, alto, like tall. Um, then they kept the hand is like an extra large <laughs> we're like no oh, pequeno uh, pequeno niño little boy anyway that's it uh, y'all have a nice night everybody stay safe out there work the uphills cruise the downhills and arrow position. keep the rubber side down out